Welcome to the Humans of Hospitality podcast with me, Mark Cribb. We are a week into our semi-release from lockdown, and down here on the south coast, I have to say it has been an interesting seven days. Clearly, the rules on meeting one person at a time out of home are being pushed, and the beaches in particular are very busy, but then it is 24 degrees and beautifully sunny outside. And I would say that most people are trying to maintain physical distancing, but you can fit an awful lot of people onto a seven-mile beach. On a personal level, we've opened our beachfront takeaway. We've created a one-way queuing system. We're using sanitised buzzers so that people can disperse before picking up their food. We've got PPE for the team, and we have 20-minute alarms set for sanitation of all surfaces. And customer contact surfaces are cleaned after every customer. But on occasions, people do queue too close together, or others think we are doing the wrong thing, encouraging the public to come outside. And I would implore anybody who sees a business or other humans struggling with the new world not to instantaneously take photos and plaster them all over social media with angry and shocked emojis. Rather, let's try and work this out together. The vast majority of people are thoroughly, thoroughly decent. So please ask to speak to a manager at any business that you go to and have an open and honest chat about what you see. Provide some objective advice without the anger and the emotion and let's see if we can all find a long-term way to navigate back into whatever the new norm will be. One thing it is not is spending the rest of our lives in our houses. Those of us with smaller entrepreneurial end of the hospitality industry are seeing our livelihoods that we have often spent decades building perilously close to full-scale collapse. This is not simply a drop in profit for a few months or a tweak to a bloated balance sheet. This is losing your car, losing your house, losing your assets, maybe having 15 or more years of your life reset, losing everything you have worked for. No more family adventures, kids moving to new parts of town, going to new schools. It really is that real. Yet many of us feel we could open in some guise now. Big terraces outside could be managing physical distancing probably better than open public areas on many occasions. It's hard to limit the people on a beach or in a park and much easier to limit those allowed into a beer garden or a private terrace. Whilst clearly the health and vitality of all humans and the protection of the NHS is key, it feels like many of us would now like to be given the benefit of the doubt to do the right thing and open some aspects of our businesses with integrity and public safety key but saving our livelihoods before the summer is over and the business completely disappears. I do hope the government agenda is flexible and moves fast as we demonstrate our competence as an industry. Anyway I've gone off on a slight tangent so let's introduce this week's guest. I really enjoyed meeting Philip Eels from Honest Burgers on a previous episode back in December 2019. I was not necessarily surprised, but I was certainly pleased to see the level of obsession and care and actually the fact that the integrity of the co-founders make the name Honest exceptionally apt. I came away from our chat with nothing but respect for the guys, the business and what they stood for. And this time it was just Philip and he was equally as enthralling and honest and happy to speak the truth. We touch on his role of late looking after the out-of-London venues and his 180-degree turn on how those out-of-London venues should be managed. We then get into the impact of the pandemic from charity and long-term integrity where Philip tries desperately hard to walk the fine line between honesty and political correctness but comes out with his personal integrity and diplomacy intact. 
We chat about the National Tyramite campaign and Philip has an eloquent way of explaining the need for an open and symbiotic conversation with landlords and how the whole economy, not just hospitality, in essence needs a period of hibernation for all, but a fast rebirth afterwards. Honest are out of the pits pretty early with the shift to takeaway, and we look at the financial viability of that as well as the operational challenges such as PPE required to operate in this new space. All in all, I thoroughly enjoyed our chat and very much hope you do too. If you do, please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your player of choice. I know you probably always hear this bit and skip over it or think you'll do it later, but please, please just pause and do it now. You can do it on your phone, just open the app and follow your nose. Just a five-star click is great, and if you can write a little something, all the better. It really, really does help me out. And to leave a tip or buy me a beer, head over to our Patreon page via humansofhospitality.co.uk forward slash donate. Philip Eels from Honest Burgers, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Hugely appreciated. Uh, where are you? Are you at home at the moment? Or? I am at home. Yeah, I've just got back actually. I've been uh, to our head office this morning. So uh, I've actually managed to venture out for the first time in a long time. I'm back home Amazing. in uh, yeah, East Dulwich, sort of Peckham area. Cool. And has that mainly been your life for the last sort of couple of months in lockdown? Have you been uh, yeah, been working from home? Or? Yeah. No, I set myself up with a little um, sort of office. I don't really have an office at home, but I set myself up a little station in, my, in our bedroom to get away from my two young kids who are kind of run, running right in the background most of the time. That seems to be the thing. I've done a few of these now uh, bedroom-based uh, podcasts, and uh, my FD actually refuses to have an office at home because uh, he doesn't want to mix it, basically. So whenever I've been uh, Zooming with him for the last couple of months, he's always been sat on his bed, which has been mildly disconcerting for the first couple of weeks. It's funny, well, it's funny isn't it? Like, I, you know, when I looked around these guys, particularly lots of exec calls I've been having, you know, I'm an MD and ops directors, and I feel like I know their houses now, which is an interesting lens. Yeah. They, yeah, they I know my FD's nose because he's not very good at holding the uh, computer <laughs> while he's working, and yeah. I got mainly his sort of nose and forehead, which um, which I've, I've sort of probably had enough of. I hope he doesn't listen. No, he doesn't. So that's <laughs> perfectly safe. Yeah. So um, for those of you, we we had a chat a fair few months ago, long before we knew the utter carnage that was going to impact our industry. But for those who haven't yeah. listened or, or don't know you, can you just explain a little bit about you know what and who Honest Burgers are, please, and your role there? Yes, so I am the one of the co-founders of Honest. Um, started the business back in well, 2010, technically, back at, down in Brighton, actually, with our with our little tent set up. But first restaurant, 2011. Um, obviously, we sell burgers and chips. Um, we've got 37 restaurants now, um, including one at Deliver Edition sites, a few outside London. Um, yeah, and I guess my role at the moment is a good question. I could probably take up a podcast on that alone um but i guess increasingly it's just sort of sitting alongside a very experienced and um uh what should i say composite uh, set of exec kind of uh, directors in the business and trying to just um complement their skill sets with a kind of honest lens on everything really that's my job yeah as, as you know, so when i spoke to you i can't remember what it was but maybe six months ago you just sort of stepped back into a much more hands-on ops role for a period of time i think you, maybe you were covering somebody is that has that all finished hey. now and are you back into being a grown-up <laughs> well good question um no i'm still i'm still kind of doing it actually so yeah no well said i was um i've got this thing about i like being on the front line i like experiencing kind of the job I, I, you know people sort of taking information in different ways don't they and i think i struggle unless i'm kind of in there doing it and seeing it and breathing it so 
I yeah, I was doing a regional director role, which is you sit above an air two area managers who have an area each of about seven to ten restaurants. So I was doing that as a fill in when we last spoke. And actually since then that area has changed and I'm actually more involved in the out of London sites. So I'm kind of still doing a bit of an RD role. I've got one area manager underneath me, um, Victoria, and I uh, we were looking at the seven out of London sites. Which okay. Is, which is really, yeah, it's, it's really interesting because we wanted to, um, we thought we'd, we'd group them together as one big area rather than tagging Liverpool onto a London area or Manchester onto London area, which is the kind of standard go-to setup as I understand it. We felt we'd have a better chance if we put them all in one place. Mm. Is that working? I well, yeah, it was. It was, yeah. yeah I'm gonna say, yeah. I, about, yeah no, I think I think it was actually. Um, I I think if you'd asked me two years ago, uh, expanding out of London, I was obsessed that it, we made sure every single member of that team felt part of the London t- setup. Obviously, we're a London-centric business. I was obsessed that you know we've got to bring them down. They've got to do everything the London guys get. We've got to, It's all got to be the same for them. It's really important they feel connected. And actually, I've done a huge one eighty on that now. I actually think what we should be doing is celebrating the fact that they're not in London and they don't want to be in London. If they wanted to work in London, they'd work in London, but they don't. They want to be in Manchester or Brighton or Reading. So mm. the thing that those seven restaurants share is the not Londonness. And by putting them together, we saw an instant, instant kick, I'd say, on culture between them where it's like, yes, great. I don't want to come to London all the time. Let's, let's, you know, let's, let's talk about how we embrace what not being in London is about. Um, That's interesting. Yeah, and I, I really stand by it. And I think I, 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 we were a month into it and then Corona obviously right. hit, hit the world. So, Because one of the things you're known for and one of the things that really impressed me is the fact, you know, you've got 37 venues, but you would never know that. And, and particularly, I suppose, you know, you put a lot of work into your, you know, your local beers and some of your local suppliers and deliberately make, trying to make it feel like it's, it's not too big, I suppose. So was there a particular trigger that made you shift to that sort of, yeah, not London centric perspective, I suppose? I think, yes, I think it's all part of the same conversation and, and you're spot on. I mean, we're obsessed with being anti-chain, uh, to a fault sometimes probably but um yeah I, I loved it i love it in fact when and then obviously you do i love it when people are surprised and i tell them we've got 37 i think it's brilliant um yeah. it means that we're striking that right tone um so yeah I, I, it was all it was all intertwined it, it, it's all part of the same project which is actually saying that these, these guys in london our london don't want to be in london let's embrace it um they have to be managed differently like we can't expect them to jump on a train for two and a half hours every time we have a team meeting it's not reasonable um, so we just had to change our ways of working a little bit. Mm, uh, nice. Well, you certainly had to change your ways of working a little bit more now. So um, let, let, let's sort of start to focus a little bit. If, if I can take you back to March, and I guess I'm interested, particularly in that week, because I remember it very vividly, we had those sort of th- three or four days, I guess, when Boris had come out and announced to the nation not to visit bars and restaurants, but this was sort of pre-furlough and the support packages. Do you remember that week? And do you remember how this played out and, and how you were sort of feeling personally and what your sort of thoughts were on the impact on the business during that period? Yes, I do. God, it was a it was a challenging week, um, for sure. It was yeah, it was interesting. Obviously, we felt we felt some we felt it coming. I mean, there was you know we're all we're all friends in this industry. So I was I was on with the Pizza Pilgrims boys and Flatiron guys and the Dishoon boys and just talking to them and going, guys, are you what? Are you, are you, you know, what's going with your sales? Anyone seeing? And it was all the, the the stories were like, yeah, touristy areas are struggling a little bit, and and then suddenly, obviously, it all just kicked off. Um, and it became quite clear that sales weren't going to be the same again for a while. Uh, there was that there was that sort of 
period of in uh, of, of um, vagueness, wasn't there, from the government where they said that we couldn't, they probably probably shouldn't open, but it's our decision, which was really kind, of, which was really helpful from kind of obviously insurance points of view and stuff like that. Um, but I think at the point at which Boris Johnson came out and said that, I think an hour later we closed all our restaurants for eating. Uh, we were kind of waiting for him to tell us. Um, and then, yeah, we had this horrible period of thinking, well, we, you know, the, the, we listened to that message from Rishi Sunak, who said, help is coming. We're going to sort you guys out. Just bear with us. And I think it took, don't quite remember, was it three or four days between shut That's your right, doors yeah. and, and Rishi coming out with the 80% package. And, I, and, I, and honestly, I, I've never been more proud of us as a business, I have to say. Like, there's been a lot of work, and I think we probably touched on it in the last podcast, that we've been really driving the kind of employer, like, uh, you know, best employer kind of standards within our business and trying to be great people, a people business, you know, people first business. And it really, really kicked in that week because we got, got around the table and said, all that matters now is that we don't make a single person redundant or we don't sack a single person. You know, no people need to know where their rent or where their food is going to, you know, how they're going to pay their bills and their, and put food on the table. We need to give people that security with or without the government scheme. So we uh, we created this 50% corona pay, we called it, and it basically guaranteed all of our staff, every single one of them, 50% of their earnings, uh, their average earnings, until the end of April. So this is obviously March 23rd, I think was the moment. I forget exactly the dates, but yeah, yeah. We, we, project, we projected ahead five to six weeks with a guarantee to all our staff that they would get 50% of their pay uh, based on their average earnings um, over the last 12 weeks. Um, and just the, the response we got was <laughs> unbelievable. I mean, tears, we went live in our internal um, uh, workplace tool that we use. We went live to deliver the news and there was the, 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 the messages we got back were quite astonishing because obviously at the time you were hearing all sorts of stories of you know, a million people in the hospitality industry being laid off overnight and this kind of stuff. And, you know, obviously everyone's friends, they all, they've got friends that work in other restaurants and hearing like, oh, I've just been sacked, what's happening at Honest? And, and uh, I was so genuinely humbled and proud that we kind of, we said, you know what, it's the most important thing is that our guys feel secure. Um, mm. Obviously, it's been a big number because how many people do you employ? 750. Yeah. Right. So that do you remember how much that was going to cost? I mean, was that coming out of your reserves or? It was. Yeah, it was a it was a calculation we made based on obviously current cash flow levels uh, and and a really really fantastic support and and conversation with our with our investors uh where we said, "Look, this is the company we want to be. This is the company you invested in. You need to back us on this." Um and to their credit, um the guys at Active did exactly that and they said yeah we're in, we're in your corner on this one we'll back you if you need the cash we're here um wow that's awesome isn't it? That uh, incredible. Yeah, there was a lot of companies cutting every dd and every piece of expenditure and uh yeah hitting the panic button i guess so uh yeah ni- nice to have a uh investor with that sort of buy-in yeah they knew how important it was to us and i, and I, but I don't want to i don't want to try and ham it up too much because it it, it it also seemed a bit obvious to us and that if you're just going to cut your people loose, like this, this will end. And I know that at the time, if you'd asked me, will it go until October, which is now been suggesting I would have laughed at you. Uh, but, you know, it will end. And at some point, you're going to need those people again to kickstart your business. And, uh, and, I, and I maintain, and I'm going to steal um, Joe Grossman's line now from Pat and Bun. I think he said it in an interview somewhere. You know, com- companies are going to be judged on how they treated their people in the last few months. You know, that's not going to be forgotten in the new world. You can't just come back and go, oh, hey, yeah, so we're back now. Do you want to? do you want to come back and work for us again? People are just going to tell you to fucking do one. 
Like if you, you know, the first sign of trouble, you cast them aside. So I think it was absolutely important to us that we did whatever we could to send a message to our guys that said, look, we're going to, we're going to try hard. And, and I can't tell you the response we got and, and yeah. still are getting, you know, the, the kudos and the trust that I think we've now garnered in our team. Um, I mean, you know, this furlough stuff is complicated and we've, we've made, you know, of course we've made some mistakes here and there, but everything now is done with a, I know you guys are on it just giving you a heads up rather than why haven't you paid me properly or what's this you know there's a real kind of sense of we're in this together now which is which is amazing so how did you feel then when that when rishi came on the telly that night then and said uh, all right 80 percent how did you feel oh man i mean it was uh, it was euphoric we were glued to the tv Uh, i think we were expecting we we knew something was coming we thought i think we were all sort of taking our bets in the the exec team i think it ranged from it's going to say 50 to 70 i think no one saw 80 coming um and so yeah i mean within three days of i mean and so much work went into that corona pay modeling it out and trying to administer it and figure out how we were going to actually do it and communicate it and then three days later obviously it was all ripped up and was completely redundant but as i say the the impact of actually just offering it was was unreal yeah i think so much of that probably 10 day period was was you know never have i made more decisions faster and then rip them up again you know even that weekend where a little bit different because we're not in london and it was mother's day weekend and the forecasts were good and we were like right we're probably going to be closed from monday but can we trade one last weekend you know we had a few hundred people booked in across the group for uh, for mother's day and we thought we would get through that and yeah the speed we were making decisions and then luckily at least it was the friday night and not the saturday morning because we probably had a couple of grand's worth of stock arriving on the saturday morning that yeah. we did manage to cancel on the friday night but yeah, my goodness, what a crazy period that was of uh, yeah of constant. Oh, it's hilarious. Swimming. I mean, we were we were like saying, you know, there was a thing that was like, well, whatever text you're sending now, whatever message you're sending now, is a kind of here's what you think might happen. Just let's look at it again in a week's time and just have a good laugh. Because yeah, like, and it, I remember when it was starting to kick off, we were like, right, how do we get hand sanitized? How do we make sure that we know if our staff have got it? What we're we going to do if someone gets it in our restaurant to stop it spreading and and, and you know and getting that person out of the business. And then it was like, well, that's actually completely redundant because we've just, we, five days later, we closed all our restaurants. <laughs> it was like the, the, <laughs> the, the, the way things just spiraled, it was just hilarious to the point where we were like, we're having a conversation again. Well, this is, is what we're saying right now completely irrelevant in 12 days time. So we start talking about like a 12 day business where we just go, well, they'll just go take 12 days at a time and we'll see where we're at. Yeah. Yeah. And even 12 days was excessive. 12 hours. Sometimes we were making decisions in the morning and completely changing them by the evening with regards to yeah, opening hours and all that kind of stuff. But uh, I certainly, yeah, uh, opened a fresh beer when Rishi came on the telly and, uh, and tipped him. So he was, uh, it was good. He did, did save us. Um, so You'd modelled all the way through then to the end of April, but at that point, like you say, none of us expected this to carry on for this length of time, I suppose. At that point, you know, we, you, were, you were confident then on the success of the business. And when you were doing these models, you know, how, how far ahead could you predict that you could um, survive for? And as it's gone on, on a week by week, and now we're sort of seeing it roll in, into months forward, you know, have, have you had to uh, change that, you know, make any more cuts? And, and how long can you continue this trajectory, I suppose, and be comfortable that you can come out the other side? Well, I think that in the spirit of um, of what we were just saying, I, I can't give you too many projections going forward. Um, <laughs> but um, I'll do my best to indulge you. Um, yeah, yeah, no worries. Well, I'm not. I'm not asking for a date commitment, but just in, in general. I mean, I, I had a spreadsheet running with probably 25 different scenarios yeah, yeah, and different yeah. models of half open, fully closed, don't open till next April, open two days a week. You know, and and I'm just wondering, yeah, you know, what that that process of 
you know, forecasting is always a, a dark art, but in the current situation, yeah, just some ideas around, you know, how, how you're doing that, I suppose, and how you think yeah. it might pan out going well, forward. Look, I think, you know, t- t- with the Corona pay in the first instance, um, we sent them out a salary sacrifice bot as well for people. So, you know, there was discussions around, you know, to kind of make that Corona pay work until the end of April and beyond, there was a, a need to kind of gain a 25%, I think, across the board salary sacrifice. Um, so was, the Corona pay was geared towards the hourly staff and and, and uh, restaurant staff, and then there's obviously all the central support guys. So uh, we first of all made a decision that we weren't just going to impose a 25% everyone. We we're going to ask people to contribute. Um, we felt that was a better way to do it. Everyone's circumstances are different. You know, some people could say I can do 50, and other people can only do five, and that's just fine because of you know whatever your scenarios are at home. So um, we did that and got I think we got to a 30% actually, which was really good. So that was that was kind of a commitment that helped us model out that end of april package and then obviously with furlough now we you know we're 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 in a position where at the moment i think i don't know how many staff left on furlough probably about 600 left on furlough at the moment we've opened reopened 22 restaurants now for delivery only um which has taken about 130 people back out of furlough um so yeah, I think you know for the time being, obviously furlough can can carry us through. But we're obviously all thinking about a situation where furlough ends, and and what is the trading situation at that point? And do we feel like in October, if that's the ends up being the end date, do we feel like we're going to be back to normality for trading? I, I, I absolutely not. I can't. I just can't see it. Um, even if eating is allowed, um, I don't think you're going to see. Normal, normal trading levels for 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 a while. Certainly not until, until the new year, at least I'd say. So yeah, I, you know, have we completely eliminated the threat of redundancies or laying people off? Absolutely not. And I and I, I'm happy to say that out loud. And I'm, even if our staff are listening to it, they've they, they'll have already heard this. You know, and I think again, one of the products of our kind of behaviour in those first few days is that we've we've got to a point where we don't shield anything from them anymore. Well, you know, not so much saying that we did necessarily before but there's there's always been there's always a bit of a filter isn't there and i think we've tried to kind of shed those filters so you know our staff are very much aware of what we're up to right now and that is you know we're trying to create revenue streams away from burgers to create jobs it's as simple as that you know we're, um, we're looking at sort of honest at home diy kits which went out a couple of weeks ago as a little mini kind of project we had 250 that we gave away uh, that we sold for charity but we're thinking can we get those up and running and that that could get another 10, 15 heads out of furlough to manage honest at home. And could we sell sources and stuff like that? So there's a kind of retail arm of the business we're looking at now. Um, can we do anything else on Deliveroo from a virtual brand point of view? We're exploring a few avenues there. Um, and just trying to think of funny ways, you know, whether there's a, we're talking to Secret Cinema at the moment. They've got a project that they're working on and maybe there's a link up there for us. So we're just trying to find as many possible ways to get creative, to create roles um, with the mindset, obviously, that normal trading isn't going to resume for, for, for a long period of time. Yeah, no, I, I share that uh, journey. We launched a drive through at our hotel, which was the only sort of venue that we had a car park uh, two weekends ago. And again, just trying to think, yeah, how on earth, you know, are we going to come out the other side of this? We're, we're fairly lucky on the seafront that we can open and do a little bit of takeaway. So we're going to reopen that tomorrow. But, it, you know, it's, it's absolutely negligible. But the hotel was this sort of pre-order, pre-pay, pull into a car parking space at your allocated time, food goes straight in the boot and off you go. And and all of this is it's just tiny little ways to try 
try and yeah keep some people employed because like you i don't i don't really see us coming out of this until next spring and the problem for us is we're very much in a tourism sort of seaside town so we make all of our money in the summer and that's what gets us through the winter so uh, yeah. yeah every and, and the weather has been absolutely immense <laughs> I know, yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's always good for burger sales, I'll be honest. Like, uh, hot weather doesn't always help us to bear, so... Um, no, we, well, that's where we can balance out. You know, you have the cold days and I'll have the hot days, but it's it. been, uh, yeah, it's care. been it's been painful to watch. Yeah, no, very very much so, yeah. And, and it is a time, I think, for, yeah, creativity and, and creating some new ideas. Um, before we come back into, you know, the sort of future plans and stuff like that, you very quickly at the time, you know, mobilised you, your team. You had a lot of fresh food that needed to be used. I know you did some some work with City Harvest. Can you just explain that sort of closure time and, and the kind of, I suppose, the camaraderie? And it, it was across the hospitality sector, I suppose, where despite the fact that it was, you know, getting absolutely pummeled and in, in you know, utter chaos, it really seemed to step up and, and start to help with, uh, with charities and key workers. So, yeah, what was the honest uh, experience of that? Yeah, I think like everybody else, we felt like um, if we if we can do something, we 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 should. Uh, and I'm going to be bullish here and put my neck on the line a little bit and say what I think probably a lot of people are thinking. And we had stock to use, right? So I, I don't see that stock going in the bin. So we're going to use it up. Um, and and we want to do, we want to do the right thing. We want to support the NHS. We want to try and feed people. But you know you there's selfish reasons for doing this stuff as well is that does that does that make sense <laughs> absolutely <laughs> no you, you're telling the truth philip it does make sense yeah go on <laughs> well, we're honest is you know we're all we're called honest aren't we honest burgers exactly Listen, we're, we're good people i promise like we're not <laughs> we, we do these things because we want to do them and, we, and we, we try not to shout about them too much um and i, I, I i'll be i'll be lying if i said i hadn't been in, uh, there's been stages where i've got a little bit grumpy sometimes with uh with some overplaying sometimes of some of the stuff we've been up to um, because, you know, you do it for, because you can. Um, and we had, the reality is we had, you know, because we've got our own butchery, making our own burgers and we sell 50,000, 60,000 burgers a week. We had about two days worth of meat in our fridges. And I mean like 20 kilo hunks of chuck steak and rib cap. So we had a heck of a lot of meat um, and we have our own bowl chopper. So what can we make? A shitload of lasagna and bolognese, right? So it just made sense to us to get start plowing through it. Um, obviously, we'd, we'd furloughed a lot of people, and in the interest of uh, particularly at that stage of just keeping people in their homes and making sure our staff are safe, we only had really myself, Tom, and a few other of the execs that we could really lean on. So, a sort of team of five of us got in our prep kitchen and just started making up a load of bolognese and a load of lasagnas uh, with the potatoes and the meat that we had we had left um which was an amazing thing to do and, and the right thing to do i guess what i'm getting at now is that and, and i i, I want to assure you and, our, and your listeners that you know the challenge the gauntlet is then laid down who, who what which companies are still going to be doing this in a year's time you know who's going to still be trying to link up with city harvest um or yeah they're like maybe not so much the nhs because i think we've got to be really wary that we don't treat the nhs like a charity but um um you know, who, who is going to continue those relationships? And I think that's certainly the challenge I've laid down within our business. Um, and, I, and I hope we can, we can meet it because it's, it's not just about capitalising. I guess my, my, my feeling is that, you know, there's a PR win here, isn't there? Look at us, how nice, how good are we knocking out food to the NHS? Where, yes, good, good on you for doing it. But, you know, it's a, it's a long-term thing for me. So I think the challenge for us now is to try and figure out how we can feasibly and realistically support some worthy um sort of food uh i don't even know as charities 
food or uh, organizations that support the community with wastage and stuff like that so that's the challenge for me uh, and the challenge of doing these podcasts remotely is you can't see the big grin on my face because i'm laughing and you're, you're absolutely right there's been a certain amount of um yeah pr bullshit i suppose and it's been the same you know down i think i think london's had a you know, much more of a focus of this uh, pandemic anyway, and more support has been required. But, you know, even on a, lo- on a local level, I've seen sort of, you know, restaurants and places saying that, you know, you know they'll buy one and we'll donate one to the NHS and we're delivering food down to the hospital. And I phoned the hospitals and, and I was on a conference uh, Zoom call a couple of weeks ago with all of the local homeless groups and vulnerable groups and charities. And I was kind of like, we're here if you need us. You know, I've got a furloughed team and I've got kitchens and I've got restaurants and nobody needed us. You know, there was actually capacity. The YMCA were like, you know what, we're good. Our kitchens are are well put production. We can do more. I spoke to the directors at the local hospital and they said, no, you know, the the, the nurses are fine. Uh, They don't need food at the moment. You know, maybe after this, you know, buy them a drink or buy them a beer. And we were like, yeah, absolutely. We'll we'll look after you guys. But yeah, it's been interesting to see people just – yeah, some people, like you say, do it, doing it for the wrong reasons. Although there's been some great stuff and some genuine need in certain parts of, of the country, it's not. Oh, listen, I, I can't, I can't knock a single. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna get in trouble for this. I can already, I can already, <laughs> I can already feel it. I can already feel the uh, the the messages I'm gonna get from my fellow founder. And I, 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 I need to, I I cannot criticize a single person for doing for jumping in and getting food to the front line when they needed it and they did need it um i think we pretty quickly saw a similar story that you is actually the nhs agents whoa hang on a minute we can't take 100 burgers every day <laughs> like we've got enough <laughs> right? so, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and i think that that, that, that that it's just it's doing things for, for, for the right reason and i think but it's a it's a challenge. Like uh, the te- it's tough because you you do these things and you do you want your, you want our cust- you want your customers to know that you're doing it because other people are doing it and you suddenly think well God if they if we don't say it then people think we didn't do it and it's like oh God and you, you go you go through this internal tor- turmoil of like we don't really want to talk about it but we kind of feel like we should and then so we we try to strike that balance and I I personally think we achieved it so there we go before our marketing team kill me when they hear this podcast. <laughs> I think our guys did a fantastic job of just just drip, drip, drip feeding that stuff in and saying, "Look, here's what we've been up to," um, and, and trying to trying to do the right thing, I guess. But there you go. That's a, that's a long yeah, I think. I think. It, I, I, think <laughs> I don't think I should have had a. I'm, I'm I think thinking about wine. Like, that maybe was a mistake. There we go. <laughs> I, you know, people uh, will appreciate your lack of bullshit factor, and 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 I think it stands, like you say, the long term integrity and your long term values and what you do on a long term basis is is much better than some of the quick wins that certain well, listen, uh, businesses I, could take at the moment. And I don't I mean, think there'll be any doubt over the integrity of what you guys do on a day to day basis. No, good one. And look, I'm indulging myself, given that I haven't got my co-founder sat with me this time. So uh, you know, maybe I should put in brackets my views, my own, or something. They're not honest. Cause, no, I, I'm very opinionated on charity, and, and honestly, I can hear. I can see my co-founder Tom now with his head in his hands that um you know I, I you know Bob Geldof stood on the stage for 20 years and you know hasn't made a blind bit of difference you know so you know I, we're honest we've always had a philosophy pre pre-corona I've always had we've always had the philosophy that actually if we're going to do this kind of work it, we're much more a hand up not a hand out kind of business we don't we don't like just raising big sums of money and just giving it to big organizations if we're going to going to do charity we just try to do it locally and um, we give it to like a scout hut um, or, or we work with people like Working Chance, and we take, you know, which takes women out of prison, and we get women back into employment. And we've got about fifteen to twenty uh, ladies in the business right now. And I don't like calling that charity because it's not charity. That's that's a hand up. That's that's as an employer, we now have an opportunity as a, as a larger employer to create opportunities for other people that don't have them. And that that for me 
is exciting. Um, so we've always had that approach, honest, that we like to kind of try and do hand ups, not handouts. Um, yeah. Which I guess is where some of that yeah. my, my reticence yeah. came from. No, I, I I agree, and it's one of the key things. You know, that, you know, didn't, don't know you guys well, but we've uh, you know met, and now this is our second conversation. But I really came away from our last chat, you know, and I'm sure there was a part of the podcast where we discussed, you know, what what came first, you know, the honest name or you guys and your approach and your integrity, because all the way through it, uh, it, it really stands out. I suppose that you're not part of the bullshit. You know, you do the right things for the right reasons because you know, yeah, because it genuinely is. Uh, the right thing to do. So I, I don't think there'll be any doubt of that. I don't think you're going to be in trouble anymore, Philip. I think we can move on. Thank it's you. Okay. Good. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I promise. Um, so actually, one one thing you mentioned a little while ago, uh, you mentioned the word insurance, and it's been quite interesting, I suppose, across the sector, the the lack of insurance. And I just wondered, have you had a more positive experience? Because you, you mentioned it with regard to being told to shut or, or not shutting. Uh, are you one of the very few that might be insured? Or is that um, dead I in the water? I think this is going to sound remarkable, isn't it? Just, I'll, just, I'll just stick with this vein now. I, I think we got it. <laughs> yeah, uh, really? I, yeah, I don't know. A hundred percent. I know we were, we'd applied for the, the, the uh, for it. I, I think we spoke to our, and, and obviously, you know they're doing whatever they can to to wriggle free, um, but I, I, the last I the last noise I heard on it was that it was looking positive. And to tell you the truth, that was probably about four or five weeks ago, and I haven't actually asked a question since. To tell you the truth, so without pulling up the cash flow, okay, um, but I know I think I think I think we're I think we're good for it. Yeah, I think we're gonna. I think our insurance company is gonna pay out, um, and and some of the government schemes as well have, have kicked in for us, um, which is good. Okay, good. Well, fingers crossed. I, Jack Stein was the last guy that I chatted to in depth about insurance because he was one of the few where they'd actually paid specifically for pandemic insurance and it was really expensive. And uh, yeah, they, they thought they were going to be covered, but even they were having some legal challenges with it. So I need to follow up actually and see how he's getting on. But he was sort of, yeah, part of the 1% of the industry that was was being represented because for, for most people it had failed. But I'll uh, I'll chase that up. So good luck. Um, with regards to government support, you know, obviously some of it has been fantastic. Do you think there's anything else the government needs to be doing have you been part of the sort of jd and the uh, hospitality union campaign have been talking about nine months rent free yeah. and there's been talks of vat reductions what's your thoughts on all of that no i think he's bang on i'm not uh, personally involved in that um whatsapp group that um a lot of founders and i know i know a few people in our business are so we we're, we're kind of i'm in it indirectly through those guys so honestly well um yeah i think he's spot on uh, you know the the, the big you know, the reality is, you know, obviously we don't have a lot of restaurant businesses right now don't have the capital to pay rent, but you know, we also want to be good citizens and the landlords have got their own bills to pay. Right. So none, no one's, no one wants to put someone else out of business. And I think that that only, that conversation only works if it gets filtered all the way to the top. Um, so this kind of what's it, national timeout is the hashtag, isn't it? Um, I think, right. I, I think it's absolutely essential. I, I think if the government can, um, ease the burden on our landlords then that can trickle down to us and I think we can all in theory just bounce back which is I, I mean I felt that for, from, from the word go really that if, if everyone could go into kind of hibernation and we just have to kick start again you know press the start button again then then there's a chance we can come out of this relatively unscathed as a as a well economy not just an industry um, so yeah I think that's that's definitely something we need to and I'm uh, our property director uh, put something in our group yesterday looks like we had a bit of a breakthrough on that so um i was gonna say with 37 venues you must have lots of different landlords you know also across different parts of the country how, how are they responding is it a real mixed response or you is it genuinely, genuinely positive i'm not gonna lie it's a mixed bag uh we've got 40 landlords which we deal with when we factor in our prep kitchen our head office and uh 
another property which we sublet. Um, I don't I, without looking at the sheet again. I, I think it ranges from yeah, we totally get it to we're taking you to court. Uh, so, like, I think we're yeah you know, we're dealing with a, a myriad of, yeah. of responses at the moment. Um, and I think obviously you know it's just trying to reach a sensible a sensible um, point with all of them. And 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 the the, the truth we're not here to be ourselves. You know what I mean? We're not we don't want to put anyone out of business and we're not, you know, it's not about that, but it's about trying to keep the business alive at the end of the day. Um, mm. it's, it's just, a, it's yeah, a, it doesn't feel like rocket science, is it? No, no money in, no money out. Um, but yeah, different, different landlords are responding in different ways. And I think, you know, as an industry, we get their challenges as well. And it's not saying, look, you know, it's us against you. It's saying we, we should be in this together, but it is going to take teamwork to come out the other side of this. Totally. Totally. And I think that's what this, um, what, um, Jonathan Downey's, effectively saying isn't he really saying that let's get let's get this right to the very top and get it trickled down from the government and then we can all just kind of shake hands and and hibernate yeah absolutely so you've started to reopen your doors you mentioned 22 i think you said have you had to make a lot of changes to sort of you know cope with what to call covid secure and physical physical distancing and all that kind of stuff uh yeah big big changes to the way that you're operating and and how's that going because you're probably ahead of you know quite a lot of other people in our sector yeah, big big changes. Um, obviously, we the, the first thing we did um, was instead of just putting teams back in the restaurant they were in, we we used some tech. And honestly, te- te- the technology we've been using has really helped us recently. I have to admit, like, and it, and it's a decision we made a year ago, which is really great. They're coming onto roost now. Yeah, the the decision to put workplace in, for example, um, yeah, the the Facebook uh, internal comms tool. Um, and through that, we use something called the bot platform. And, and so we, um, first thing we did was made sure that we're, we're getting staff back into restaurants that they live closest to. Because it's not always the case that your, your GM in Peckham actually lives, she lives closer to the one in Greenwich, for example. <laughs> and, you know, it's not something you think about in the old world, but in the new world, it's very important that we're trying to mi- limit, um, minimize transport time for the guys. Um, we also uh, did it completely on a voluntary basis. So we, we didn't tell anyone that to work. We put a message out and said, if you want to come back to work, let us know. And from the people that said yes, we sort of triangulated their postcodes and figured out which restaurants they were closest to. And then that informed our decision on which ones we could open. Um, obviously, we had a list of the ones that we thought would make the most profit and were the most desirable to open. And we tried to triangulate people's locations to those as best we could. Um, uh, we asked a lot of, uh, we asked some sort of obviously some health questions around trying to establish how many of those people feel like they've had it. Um, and then obviously within the restaurants, we've, we've put in a number of measures around social distancing, uh, PPE, um, additional checks, um, for the staff. I mean, all, all staff have to have a, they get, um, their temperature taken at the start of every shift and anyone over 38 degrees is sent home um so all those measures that the government advised and they just and obviously in the last couple of days they've just released even more information which we're um i literally was in a meeting about that today so i think there's a few extra little bits we're going to bring in uh looking at uh, face masks i think have just arrived for all our staff in the kitchens um because it's very difficult obviously to social distance uh completely in the kitchen so i think we're, we're we've upped our game on ppe um to help with that yeah yeah, no, it's challenging, I think, isn't it? Kitchens in, in particular. And uh, yeah, I guess it's it's the sort of ABC team and trying to get people not to cross over as much as possible and stuff like that. And, and I sympathize with the chefs. You know, some of them are 
my team who are just going back as well you know some of them are happy to to wear the mask but in a, in a hot kitchen environment those masks can be pretty stifling and stuff so it's going to be interesting to see uh, how it pans out from from an impact on the business i mean how, how much of your customers would be dining in and how much would be taken away anyway were you predominantly dining in or was it pretty easy? oh yeah no we we never we were never a company that embraced delivery um i've never been the hugest fan uh so I think our, our delivery sales were, we only ever used delivery, um, were 15% across the company. Um, obviously with some overs and unders and various sites, some that do none at all and some that do a lot more than that. Um, so we were only working on 15% base anyway. Um, yeah, and obviously now we're seeing you know, huge sales. I mean, we've, we've done in, in some of the residential sites that we were open last week, we did mid-teen last, you know, in, in those sites just on, on delivery. So there's huge appetite out there for, for uh, delivery, which is good. Right. And are you doing, are you doing you're, you're, the ones you've opened, are they just for delivery or are they doing takeout as well? Can people order no, and take away? just delivery at the moment. Um, again, conversation today around potentially restarting, clicking let to take away. We're just, it's just another element that we need to just think about how we control it. Um, you know, you've seen some headlines around some five guys thinking Sheffield got mobbed, didn't it? When they, um, so, uh, you know, obviously our first responsibility is to the, we have a duty of care to our staff. And I think we just wanted to get a couple of weeks of delivery under our belts to see how we could manage people arriving at the restaurant and placing orders in a, in a safe manner, uh, which, yeah, we feel like it's something we can do, um, but we're not there yet. Um, yeah, and from a viability perspective, you know, when you're doing the the deliveries, because I guess you know a lot of people will be looking at this and going, right, at the minute I've minimised my costs, my team are furloughed. Um, is it looking like opening and, and unfurloughing your crew to do delivery is going to be viable? Um, yeah, no, I think it is. Yeah, we, we did. Uh, we worked out the model. Um, we're working on sort of five line teams at the moment, um, and I think there's yeah, I think there's enough sales in the business to make that work. I mean, you know. Profit for us is very, very simple, and that is it pays wages, and that's it. <laughs> After that, it's you know we're not looking to make any money above and beyond um, paying our staff and paying suppliers, um, and just and just weathering that storm, you know. And that's honestly the truth. We're not really no no model we're doing is go is cashing is designed to cash any profit. Um, so yeah, uh, we're a week in, and so far I think there's more than enough sales to to support the people that we've brought our fellow yeah that's good because i think a lot of people are looking at the early movers and just trying to work out you know what we what we don't want to do is open our doors and uh and yeah make make losses basically like you say it's just about yeah paying some paying some bills and paying the team i don't think anybody's expecting you know there's been a lot of publicity i guess around physical distancing and and the drop in covers and maybe you lose you know 70 percent of your covers and actually yeah are you gonna are you gonna lose more money so people are looking for the opportunity to pivot and trying to work out if it's viable so uh, it's good it's good to hear that it's got some potential i suppose at least in, in your style of food um new openings wise you you've sort of opened a lot over the last few years were you planning yeah. opening some this year and has that now been put on pause or? yeah we were two weeks away from opening in uh, garrick street covent garden so that, that's pretty much ready to go. <laughs> um, right. No, no date on whether we think we can open that one. It's it's not a huge um, delivery hotspot anyway, being bang, bang, central London. And we've got a couple of other sites near to it that can pick up delivery. So it's not one that we're looking to, to bring online anytime soon. Um, we had another one lined up for St. Catherine's Dock, uh, which was quite far advanced. I think we were probably six to eight weeks away from that one. 
uh, and then a couple of other deals in the pipeline, which we've kind of we've, we've paused for the time being. Um, so yeah, it's, just, it's frustrating, really, but it's what it is. Yeah, it is. But you think you'll be able to bring those back on at some point in the future, presumably? So uh... yes, yeah, I think I think certainly the the Garrick Street and St Cat's ones, because from a sort of cost capex point of view, obviously most of the money had been spent already, so it was not necessarily eating into any cash flow in going forward. So we, we feel like we've got the people to open them. Um, if we feel like it's safe to do it and, and there's going to be custom, then it's something we'll definitely look at um, when we can. But I think we're a way off eating. I think we're a little way off eating, um, eating business for the time being, aren't we? I think so, yeah. So what are your thoughts for the future? I mean, I suppose, do you see any positives coming off the back of this? It's clearly going to be a huge shift uh, in the whole marketplace. I, I guess a lot of people you know, aren't going to come through this. It's been well documented, the challenges of hospitality in the last few years, the sort of tight margins. You saw Jamie Oliver's and Coluccio's and Patisserie Valerie's and others. You guys were in a, you know, a, a strong spot, I suppose, with some good margins and some good investments. So you'll come out the other side. What's your prognosis for the industry overall, I suppose? And then, yeah, do you think that will create some interesting opportunities? Um, yeah, I mean, look, there's, there's going to be some casualties, aren't there? And, and I, I certainly would start by saying that, you know, we feel confident. We feel like we've got great backers that are supportive. Um, we went into this with healthy margins, so we feel like we've got a really good chance of coming out of it. Um, but it's not, certainly not guaranteed, of course. We just don't know how long it's going to go on for with second or third spikes, whatever we, you know, um, yeah. For sure, there's going to be some casualties. I mean, people are obviously already reading about one or two big names. Um, yeah, I guess if you were struggling on the way in, you're probably you're probably going to struggle to get through it. So I think those those guys will be the first to go. But you know, it just depends how long this goes on for. And in any situation, you know, I guess something I've guarded against certainly in our business is that. You know, if there is a big purge, presumably it's going to be the super good uh, operators that are left, which, you know, you might think, okay, we come out of this and there's going to be less competition, more sales, which arguably in the first instance there might be. But the way I see it is that the bar will just be significantly raised and you're going to be benchmarking yourselves against some very good operators. Um, So, uh, you know, I think the challenge certainly will be there that if you want to mix it in the new world, you're going to have to be on top of your game. Uh, certainly in the long term, yeah, which is a good challenge. We like, we like, I like that. I like that challenge. It's good. Um, yeah, you know, I want to, you know, we want to go up against the, as I mentioned before, you know, the, 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 the Pilgrims boys and the guys that are out there doing great things, you know, great food, great concepts, you know, good, good, good people. So those, those are the people that you want to match yourselves against. And I think there's going to be plenty of them in the new world. Um, so for me, the bar is going to be significantly raised. Um, and it, it's, and it, it's going to be, you know, the transition between now and whatever the getting back to normal, whenever that is, or whatever if, if there ever is, it's just trying to understand what that looks like, really, isn't it? And how and how you how you navigate the new normal, as people are saying. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think there's an inevitability that we'll we'll get back to normal eventually. I guess it's just a period of time, you know, whether it's a a few years, whether it's one year, whether it's six months, and I, I guess vaccines and all sorts of variables that far more intelligent people than you and I are hopefully chewing the fat on, and uh, we won't won't attempt to do it on this podcast. But uh, yeah, I guess 
you know, hospitality has been around for thousands of years, hasn't it? And I'm sure it will come back. And I, I do feel like, you know, the industry needed some sort of, of reset in the fact it felt like it was an oversupplied market in the last few years. It felt that margins were too tight. You know, food costs, staff costs had, had gone up at quite some pace. And uh, there was a lot of people in the industry struggling. However, I don't think anybody, you know, needed or foresaw anything quite as catastrophic as this. But um, yeah, I do hope the, the right, you know, a number of the right players come out at the other side of this. But I also hope there's a bit of a gap in the market for, you know, those community venues and, and local venues i suppose to uh, to stand strong or, or at least the ones that you know support the local markets and uh, absolutely and all those awesome local beers that you sell absolutely oh, yeah I think okay um, really yeah anything else so thank you for sparing the time i appreciate how busy it is and thanks for being honest and candid sorry for uh, you know discussing any awkward awkward subjects i hope you don't get too big of a bollocking philip but is there anything else uh, pressing that you see going on any other views i suppose on what's happening that you'd like to share um, well, no, I, I, I guess I was gonna. The only I was gonna just expand on. I think you, you, your point there, really, you kind of alluded to. I think you know, you, you seem to allude. That I think there's something that the industry needed, and I, and I, I think I would agree with you that you know, the, the you know, remember the, the glory days when we were just talking about Brexit, <laughs> like you know, like we're going, <laughs> going going back to those times. You know, there was this whole hospitality proud thing started going around and I got a bit grumpy about it to be honest. And I still am because I think something that Brexit has, had, is, is, has made that the, the immigration stuff is going to force a lot of restaurants, was forcing restaurants down was, was that, you know, we're not, we don't, as an industry, we're not covering ourselves in glory and we've got to drop our egos. We've got to stop pretending that we're this amazing place to work and that we're just this, you know, everyone loves it because the reality is they don't, you know, and, I'm a bit fed up of hearing people say it, to be honest, within our industry, because, you know, they say the first route to solve your problem is, I mean, you've got one, right? And, and you know, the hospitality industry has the worst record for mental health. You know, we, we expect long hours. Um, it's low paid. Um, you know, it's transient. We, we you know, it's, it's sex, drugs and rock and roll, as our head of people calls it. You know, we surround people in alcohol and, you know, you know we all know the kind of, reputation that hospitality has and i think you know we can't expect in a post-brexit world and certainly post-corona world that you know these english kids coming out of university uh, or college are going to be interested in working in that business so i think we've all got to adapt um and we we were having those conversations pre-corona i think if anything it's only been amplified now um and that you know the, the truth is i i guess i'm not hospitality proud all the time because and, and I'm, I'm, I, we point that lens at ourselves, you know, and this is the journey we've been on. I think we touched on it last time we spoke on on the last um, show we did with you. In that, you know, we've got to start looking at ourselves and 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 treating our people better, and looking at ways to PR our business better. Otherwise, we we are going to be in a world of pain when Corona finishes and immigration Brexit kicks in. We're going to be in a world of pain if we stick to our current ways. And I guess we, we've got to stop saying things like what an amazing industry it is and everyone wants to work in it because the truth is they don't and it isn't at times and i think if anything i'm hoping the new world will have more of the people that take that seriously than the ones that didn't and i i would expect a correlation between the ones that come out of this that are trying to do the right things and the ones that don't to be honest if i can be bullish and there we go that was a glass of yeah. wine a full glass of I wine hope- yeah, no. <laughs> I, 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 oh, I really. I, yeah, no, it's good. I, and I hope. 
and <laughs> end in a yeah, catastrophic. Uh, oh, you know I mean? No, I hope you're right. I think that's a fair comment. I mean, I, I know you know. There's a I know an industry that of like mine, and I and I'm not. I certainly would be very um, careful not to position ourselves as some kind of holier than now. We're perfect. Check on this out. Aren't we amazing? Because we're not. Trust me. We've been on this journey, and you know, we're not as good at people as we should be. You know, um, and we're trying really hard to do that. Uh, and I guess I'm calling out the ones that aren't even trying. Will they exist in the new world? Yeah. Maybe not. Are we, will we be better off for it? Yeah. Yeah, you know, you're right. And, and it's hard, I think, to talk about that in some ways because uh, nobody wants to see, you know, business directors, business people, investors suffer or, or their teams suffer because they lose their jobs. But you're right, you know, it, it, there did need to be um, some sort of correction. I do think that there's a bit of a problem in the fact that, you know, m- margins have been so tight, it's probably been hard to pay the wages that we should. And some of that comes down to the public being willing to spend, you know, what food's worth. But I think that's the same across the food sector. I think it's the same in the supermarkets. I think, you know, the environmental impact of what we eat and where we buy our food is huge. And it's very easy to say that as a middle class person who used to have probably a little bit more disposable income, don't have a lot at the moment because all of my businesses are closed. But uh, yeah, I think, I think we need to take more responsibility for what we eat where we buy it and spend a little bit more on food and 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 if we can make hospitality more professional and if off the back of this there's less restaurants and they can charge a little bit more and spread that revenue through their teams better because i think there's a lot of business operators you know that have the ethos but the first thing is they have to do is is stay in business to actually you know keep employing people and then the second thing they need to do is if they can stay in business i guess is is improve the welfare and the standards and the professionalism of the industry so i sympathize but i I don't think the rapid expansion vc backed kind of uh yeah race to the bottom on 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 price and scale at all costs uh has done the industry any favors in the last few years and yeah if we can turn back the clock a little bit to local you know kind of venues looking after their teams looking after the community buying from the right suppliers then yeah hallelujah to that listen i challenge accepted because that is uh that's that is the challenge for us with honest you know we want to grow this business but we want to try and do it in the right way and and for sure we're going to make some mistakes along the way we already have but again and you said there's nuances to every business and i'm certainly not going to sit here and presume to understand everybody's own cash flow and the motivation to find some of the decisions they made i guess my overarching point really is that you know that, that, that you know you go back three months a lot of people crowing about immigration and how unfair it was that um pretty patel called our staff low skilled and then corona hit and overnight they sacked half their staff and it's like well you, you can't have you can't say one thing and then do the other and then suddenly backtrack when rishi comes up you know it doesn't fit for me sometimes so i think there's just a bit of a, a pr image here that i think as an industry we've got to take everybody in it's got to take responsibility for us included and i think if we don't fix it we're, we're going to be in a world of pain in in a in a, in a few years time there we go doom yeah doom that's doom. true and yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, when I when I talk about, I suppose you know VCs and scale and all that, I, d- I don't think necessarily that, that that big is bad and that scale is bad. I think absolutely you you can do oh, it the right way. You're a local champion. I've seen your messages there. Uh, you're, you're and I like that about you. you. You're you're a champion of the of the of the local guy. And 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 as am I. I mean, we we were small indie startup upon a day, and we still try and do our bit for those for for the local scene, as you know. So I, I love that. Yeah, you do. I think yeah hold your line man you're, you're on it I think <laughs> you're you're a local champion and I think you should stay that way so it's good yeah thank you yeah well, but I'm also I'm also a learner. the right things that's what it needs that's what this industry needs 
hold us it to does. account. Hold us to account. And if you come back and interview me again in a year's time and we've made a load of shitty decisions and have turned into the next crappy chain, then you should tell me. <laughs> I, I will do. Well, there's definitely some benefits of investors as well, though, because uh, I committed uh, in, in a slightly emotional video to my team that, that went out online that I would pay them until the end of March. But there was no way that I could have paid them even half into the, the end of April, not because I didn't want to, but just because we were completely and utterly skint and there was no money left in the account. So sometimes I'm mildly envious of being able to turn to somebody and say, look, you know, I want to do the right thing. Can you help finance it? Because Absolutely. yeah, there are there are benefits to, uh, to scale in, in having the cash and the investment to make us a more professional industry but you're right fundamentally i suppose uh, it's the british way support the underdog isn't it and criticize when people get big but genuinely i, I was you know think you guys have have walked that tightrope really well and it's uh, it's good to catch up again so thank you where should people go if they want to follow your journey and keep up with date what's you go, going on is there a particular social channel that's best uh yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, instagram i guess uh, yeah the usual honest uh, honest stuff uh, instagram we've got uh and twitter and facebook um yeah i guess just all, of, all of the above perfect I'll put, I'll put I'm, I'm trying to think if you're you're expecting a better answer there um <laughs> i certainly if you're suggesting people should follow my twitter account or instagram then i would strongly recommend they don't because it's terribly boring and on the script but um yeah get, get, yeah if you want to keep up up to date with what honest up to you'll see hit, hit us up on our website and stuff and see what we're doing but yeah perfect all right. Well, look, uh, thanks for taking the time out. You did well. The kids were quiet in the background. So congratulations. Thank you for sparing the time. Hugely appreciated. And uh, yeah, I will take you up on that. I'll come back in a year's time and hopefully we'll be having a super positive conversation about the amazing way the industry rebounded and all the wonderful employment opportunities it's got. Fingers crossed. <laughs> thanks, mate. All right. Cheers, Mark. A huge thanks again to Philip for being so honest, excuse the pun. You can tell when people spin the PR nonsense or when people are genuinely authentic. Honest have got some great investment and some really experienced operators now at board level, but I can see how Philip keeps the ethos and original honest concept at the forefront of all that they do. He's too principled to compromise and hats off to him for that. And since he asked so nicely, I will indeed try and hold him to account and catch up again in a year's time to see how they are getting on trying to add scale without compromising on those founding principles of Honest. I really think with Philip and Tom at the helm, they will pull it off and I very much hope that they do. Once again, please do leave a review and with all of my businesses currently closed and the future looking so incredibly difficult to predict, never have I been more appreciative if you can become a supporter of the podcast via Patreon by heading over to humansofhospitality.co.uk forward slash donate. And whilst you're there, please sign up for the weekly newsletter. Thanks, and I'll be back again soon. In fact, the next episode will be out on Thursday and is a chat with Peter Ducker from the Institute of Hospitality that I really, really enjoyed. Cheers.